For undergrad, I went to Westmont College, which is a small Christian school. And one thing I didn't expect when I started living on a campus with a thousand other Christian young people was the competition for rightness. They would ask questions like, what was your youth group like? Or did your church let women teach? But the version on my own campus was nothing compared to the version that happened between campuses. You may or may not know that there's this group of smaller private Christian colleges and universities, and a lot of the ones through Southern California play each other in sports and such. And on the surface, a lot of these schools seem the same. Under the surface, some are very different from each other when it comes to three little words, code of conduct. This covered the expectations for tobacco, alcohol, dancing, days and times when members of the opposite sex, and of course it assumes you answer that on a binary, can be in your dorm rooms. It covers chapel attendance and a number of other behaviors, as well as the consequences for violation. What happened then is that schools proceeded to deem themselves superior because of the content of their code of conduct. The pious ones held up their no dancing policy to mock my school's formals. The very spiritual ones held up their five-day-a-week chapel to mock our three-day-a-week. The chaste ones held up their no opposite-sex visitors for entire days of the week to mock our every afternoon and evening is open policy. There was this bizarre legalism contest I didn't even know I entered when I enrolled in school. And I didn't care, but those folks would probably say that was just because we were losing. Chris Sudgen says that legalism is yesterday's obedience. And if that's true, what's today's? On the one hand, what does obedience mean in a build my brand, live my truth, be my best self world? On the other hand, what does it mean in a Christian subculture that basically invented canceling people? By the way, welcome to our not real church on Zoom. John MacArthur is done with you all. Here's the full quote from Sajin, and then we'll turn to Jeremiah. Obedience is not legalism. Legalism is a static concern with forms of obedience, which may have been important once, but are now irrelevant or trivial. Legalism is yesterday's obedience. It blinds us to the crucial issues of today. Now in Jeremiah chapter 35, we get this story. God tells Jeremiah to go visit this group, a sect called the Rechabites, and get them to drink wine. That's the directive. So this is a time when a prophet's message is going to come from some sort of enactment. Something they will do will then create the message God has based on whatever happens next after Jeremiah attempts to have them drink wine. So in chapter 35, verse 5, Jeremiah says, I put in front of the members of the Rechabite household bowls full of wine and cups and said to them, drink wine. They said, we won't drink wine. Because Jonadab, son of Rechab, our ancestor, told us, you're not to drink wine, and you and your descendants forever. Welp. Kind of anticlimactic. Jonadab, we think, is someone we meet in 2 Kings 10. He helps lead a purge of Canaanite practices from the Israelite community. There's this renewal effort that involved cutting away all the things from Baal that had contaminated the faithful life and worship of God's people, including, it seems, drinking wine. In fact, the Rechabites tell Jeremiah that Jonadab also said, no building houses, sowing seed, planting vineyards. Instead, it's tents and the life of a wanderer, sort of like a return to living life the way they had before they were in the land. The idea is sort of that being 
too settled in the land has not been good for them. They disobeyed God. They copied the nations there. The best guess is that Jonadab's advice for that time was to intentionally withdraw in order to reconnect with God. But we don't actually have his words or that story anywhere in particular. It's just our best educated guess. Because apparently, ever since Jonadab said whatever he said, this group has lived this way unflinchingly for 250 years. So the Rechabites take their sober selves back to their tents, and God tells Jeremiah what to make of all of this. Say to Judah's people and Jerusalem's residents, Will you not accept discipline by listening to my words? The command has been carried out that Jonadab, son of Rechab, gave to his descendants to drink no wine, and they drink none to this day, for they have obeyed their ancestors' command. But I myself have spoken to you persistently, and you have not obeyed me. I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, sending them persistently, saying, Turn now every one of you from your evil way and amend your doings and do not go after the other gods to serve them. And then you shall live in the land I gave to you and your ancestors. But you did not incline your ear or obey me. The descendants of Jonadab, son of Rechab, have carried out the command that their ancestor gave them. But this people has not obeyed me. In other words, these folks don't drink wine because one forefather said not to 250 years ago. But you, You hear from me and don't change anything. They are obeying a list from one dude because he said so, generation after generation. I myself invite you to be my special people and to listen to me and nothing. The point God wants to make through this interaction with the Rechabites is not. I want the same unflinchingly rigid behaviors from you. Obey me like that. Just look at how they have kept on doing the same thing the same way for 250 years. That's obedience. And sometimes I think people reject God because this Rechabite-style devotion is exactly what they assume God does really want. But I think God's point in this story is more sophisticated. We would likely agree that it's easier to obey something if we trust the one who asked us and if we share the goal of that obedience. I think both are possible with God. And the dream that the world would be full of life and joy and love through Christ. And that's God's point. It's me who asked. And what I'm asking is really good. Don't just follow my rules. Listen for my leading. God says, it's me. The one who created everything with order and abundance. The one who invited you to be my own who rescued you from enslavement in Egypt, who led you through the wilderness, who fed and watered you there, who gave you the land. It's me, creator, faithful, sustainer, rescuer, provider, protector, future giver. And what I'm asking is really good. Let's show the world through our life together what I'm like and what I offer. You'll do this as my special people, as you care for each other, but also as you relate to the world around you and help others thrive. Even in the details, really, what God asks is good. Take as an example the Ten Commandments, which depending on your church background might not have been rolled out to you as a picture of the goodness of God. But don't we actually want a world where people are honest, faithful, don't murder each other, choose contentment over envy or greed? I believe we'd universally love to see that. And even beyond that, here's a bit of Bible trivia. 
After the first 10 commandments, what's the next thing God commanded the people? Take a guess about the topic God took on for number 11. It was the release of slaves. God's people are the freed ones. And as the freed ones, what will they do? What will they use their freedom for? Who will they be? They will be that weirdo nation who only keeps indentured labor for six years and then frees them with seed money to restart besides. Exodus 21, God says, Remember you were slaves in Egypt and Yahweh your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. Who's asking? Your Redeemer. What I'm asking is good. If legalism gets locked into certain time-bound expressions of obedience, what's a better way? If legalism is yesterday's obedience, what's today's? For 12 guys 2,000 years ago, there was a day when today's obedience meant walking around with a rabbi who'd said, follow me, and letting him change their whole idea of Israel's Messiah. For Peter, there was a day when today's obedience meant accepting the invitation to eat with Cornelius the Gentile and letting God change his whole idea of who was in. For the apostles, there was a day when it meant including the Gentiles into God's family without the ritual of circumcision and letting God change their whole idea of what sets them apart. For a group of Roman followers of Jesus, there was a day it meant following the leadership of Phoebe, Priscilla, and Junia, women, and letting God change their whole idea of authority. For Philemon, there was a day when it meant freeing Onesimus, the slave, and letting God change his whole idea of power. Every major movement of God to widen the boundaries of love so more people can know the grace of Christ has required people to reject legalism and instead try to listen for God's leading to listen for God's wisdom and direction. Here at Pomona Valley Church, we call that process openness. It's one of our core values, and we just mean that we would want to have practices and regularly create space to be open to what God is saying to us, to our church as a group, and to the world around us. And when people do that, they really use these pillars of obedience. Who is asking? Is what they ask good? They compare the character of God revealed in the Bible and the ways God has led and directed people in the past. And then they just ask, does this line up? Does this make sense? You know, in Jeremiah 35, as God closes the message, one theme that comes through is listening. God says, I spoke and you didn't obey. I told you and you didn't listen. The ones who don't listen, they miss it. And they cling to what was right for yesterday. And there's all sorts of reasons for this. Maybe they do that because what they know is familiar and comfortable. Music style was this way for a time in church history. Maybe they actually have some power or security in that system. The Christian calendar and its liturgy has occasionally had this fault. Maybe they do it because there are some loud, mean legalists out there who swear that changing is heresy and you're no longer biblical. You know, the folks that assume that men always lead and there's no such thing as being a queer Christian. And this, of course, extends far beyond church life and church style. Just like the new obedience Jeremiah is calling people to goes beyond worship practices for Israel. What does it mean to handle money obediently? What is today's obedience when it comes to mental health? A walk? Setting up that appointment to talk about meds? What's today's obedience when it comes to my time? Rest? Play? Connect? What is today's obedience when it comes to my time online and the apps I'm engaged in? One thing I love is that when you start talking about this, you realize how it touches into broader spaces of seemingly unspiritual things. 
which of course reminds us that the mundane is actually more spiritual than we acknowledge. Take waiting, for instance. What is today's obedience when it comes to waiting? Because yesterday's obedience would have said that a good Christian waits by being patient, praying a lot, and just letting God do whatever God will do in time. You're not supposed to doubt or question. You keep it to yourself and you pray. But we have a lot of waiting happening right now in our church community here. We've got folks that need their landlord to bring the AC they promised. We've got folks who are waiting in the hopes of a baby. We've got folks that are waiting because they were quarantined for COVID purposes. We've got folks who are sending their students to college and waiting to make sure that the uh, approach of putting kids in an MBA-style bubble works. Ooh, and this gets really fun when we remember that obedience is not just about my choices in my life. So how do the rest of us wait with one another? Which I think means that today's obedience is also that we would all keep this kind of stuff on our minds because it's on the minds of our community and we want to be a church in real relationship. And for some of us, today's obedience has meant getting more serious about anti-racism and practicing humble learning to better understand the damage of white supremacy and admit the ways we're part of it. For some of us, it's meant revisiting the six passages people have used to heap abuse on queer siblings and asking, are we sure? Last week when our group was at brunch, we were talking about the risky investments we're making for an unseen hope. Someone at my brunch table said that for them, that's meant investing in better biblical knowledge on behalf of LGBTQ folks with the unseen hope that they will be better equipped for a future conversation with someone who wonders about it. That's today's obedience. Legalism says that the obedience God wants looks a certain way forever and always. But today's obedience says that knowing who God is and listening for what God asks will yield a life, a community of faithfulness. This is how we became a church, of course. In October of 2018, after over two years of letting this idea of church starting sort of marinate prayerfully in our lives, my husband Curtis and I, we asked some people to help us gauge just how wild this idea was. The spectrum was quite wild to extremely wild, actually. We knew it was kind of a reach, but we just wondered, like, does anyone else wonder if the style of church we're used to might be yesterday's obedience? Anyone else wonder if God might be moving towards our tables becoming our churches and we always save a seat for the friend who's felt left out? Anyone else hearing God speak about a church that's simple and joyful, Jesus-centered and queer-inclusive, really into scripture and really into justice? And for the love, can't those pastors talk less? If I rewind to March of 2017, Curtis and I were in Minnesota at that point for church planters assessment with a denomination. They had given us one hour for discernment at the end of spending these two days in various exercises with other church starters and psychologists. And at the end of this hour, you were supposed to answer the question, is God leading you to plant a church with our denomination right now? And I said yes. But I was actually doubtful. Not in God's leading, but in this process where I worried this denomination, although they were a great denomination, would make us get a band and a big building as soon as we could in order to be successful. If I fast forward two years to the March of 2019, instead we were here in California on a visit, telling a bunch of folks about all of this over dessert in some living rooms. And there were others who seemed to have this same sense, these same questions, 
They wondered if maybe today's obedience might mean this small, casual church in a backyard that wasn't following a template. Legalism says you follow the template because that's what works. But here we all are, Pomona Valley Church, a testimony to listening for God's leading today, which in my humble opinion is a solid case for this kind of obedience. And so God, may we trust that you are the one who will lead us and where you lead us will be good. May we have ears to hear what you have to say. May we have courage when where you lead us breaks away from yesterday's obedience. Courage if the past has given us comfort or security. Courage if somebody will criticize us in a loud, mean way for leaving those things behind. May we listen together for you and be as faithful as we can for your glory. Amen.